What's up? Welcome to the Acclaim B2B Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Schneider. Today, we're talking with Jeff Reynolds. Jeff Reynolds is the president of Reynolds & Myers, a B2B marketing agency that's based out of Boise, Idaho, that works with what I would describe as shelter and uh, food companies. It's big manufacturing companies. Jeff is a uh, YC alum. He's a previous founder and angel investor. He's got a wealth of knowledge in the B2B space and super excited to chat with him today. We're going to talk a lot about how to hire and really think about marketing organizations for early stage companies and also for companies as they get to scale. Here's a clip from today's show. It starts with an understanding that power laws really apply to marketing. And what I mean by that is, you know, most companies are going to be built, especially early stage companies, not by seven different channels, but by one or two channels, right? So the first thing is to, uh, to like internalize that a concept that your job as a leader or a growth marketer is not in fact to go do marketing, meaning, you know, spray and play shit all over the place. Your job is to hunt down what the power laws are, you know, in your space at this moment in time. That's just a small taste of the awesome episode we've got in store for you today. I can't wait to share the rest. This podcast is sponsored by the Acclaim Podcast Agency. Acclaim helps brands start, produce, and grow podcasts to their target audience so that they can create owned media so that they can generate demand and grow their revenue. Go to acclaimpodcast.com to learn more or just Google Acclaim Podcast Agency. All right, let's get started with today's show. Yeah. So stoked to have you, man. <laughs> it's great to have awesome. you on. Uh, oh, great to be here. Yeah. Uh, just for the audience, Jeff's uh, my old boss. Basically, has taught me everything that I know about B2B marketing. Um, he's a founder. He's an angel. Uh, he's got a ton of knowledge and experience. And he's really, really, uh, I would say, deep T in understanding how to identify good marketing and growth people, hire them, and also just upskill them. So, um, Jeff, yeah, I'd love you know, ha- would love you to just share a little bit with the audience uh, for context on on yourself and and kind of orient you know everybody on who you are and what you do and yeah. Sure, sure. Well, basically, I got bit with the entrepreneur bug when I was like twelve years old, right? I got my first subscription to Inc. Magazine when I was twelve years old, and uh, basically started starting companies by my teens. Uh, eventually found my way into this marketing land, which is sort of the, what we used to think of as just ad agencies, right? So I uh, started in the ad, ad business, uh, working for um, a mix of clients, you know, from the Oakley, you know, sunglasses of the world to big, boring companies that you've never heard of. And um, and all the time, still doing other little side hustles. And at one point, I owned an agency, uh, and one of those side hustles kicked off you know, kind of went, went somewhere and we got accepted into Y Combinator, made to move to the Bay Area, lived there for a couple of years, built that, eventually sold my interest in that, came back to Boise, Idaho and started a small little consulting company called Reynolds & Myers, which helps uh, food and shelter, B2B food and shelter companies uh, grow and develop into modern marketers. And that's sort of my day job now, while I also do, like you said, some angel investing um, and actually, you know, sort of always building little other, <laughs> my own SaaS and other little startups uh, on the side. I just uh, sold one, actually, I just closed on one last week. Uh, and so, yeah, that's my, that's, I guess that's my story. I, I do, I basically look like a marketing guy who understands the reality of building stuff, you know? Totally. Yeah. Under, understands product well enough that they can actually like get it out the door and ship it and sell it. So the, the truth is product is where my heart is. That's yeah. Where my heart is. Um, but yeah, it's always, you know, it's hard once you, once you kind of do the marketing thing, there's always opportunities for you there. So, 
I just kept following those opportunities. Totally. I feel like it gives you at bats too, right? All those little projects. It's like you learn something that then can go into the larger thing that you're working on. I, I just always think about like sure. rotations and like, you know, getting that bat batting average up. So, but, but with that said, I, I, um, you know, change of pace. Uh, I want to go like 40,000 foot, foot view um, and, and just talk about like basically building teams for founders. Um, I, I, I think this is one of the hardest things for them to identify. Like, who's a good growth person? Who's a good marketing person? You know, a lot of them, it's, it's they've done founder-led sales. They've done founder-led growth. And they're trying to basically get to that next level and ramp this. Um, how, how do you think about, like, technical interviews for people, identifying those types of people? I think you have a good sense of it. And, I mean, you do this for companies now with Reynolds and Myers. So I, I'd love that knowledge there. Yeah. I mean, I guess to start at a very high level to understand that this is a skill but it's, it's sort of like poker, you know, you can, you can get really good, but you're not going to bat a hundred percent. Right. Um, you know, if you, in blackjack, what the house, uh, you know, even a perfect game, you can win like 52% or something as the player versus the house. Right. And I feel like this work is similar. Like it, there's no magic bullet. Um, so I'd start there, you know, you have to learn and get better at it. And I think founders, one comment is what I'm seeing as a trend right now is I think founders are trying to scale themselves out of those positions a little too early. Um, in general, like I definitely think they need to, but it, it needs to be after a moment of pain, uh, because you have so much going, not because you're doing it, uh, too early. So that, uh, you know, so just a thought there, I, I guess how, how, you know when you're there in is, that, how do you know when you're in that moment of pain to interject? Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, what are those signals? I mean, the signals probably are, you know, basically your marketing, the time that you're spending on marketing basically has pushed out almost everything else that you need to get done and you're still managing to squeeze it in. Uh, but 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 it's really painful and it's painful consistently, right? And then I would argue if there's, you know, product market fit, if you have a sense, you know, I guess I would want to get to like at least have like, sort of a visual on product market fit before I start hiring all those people, right? Like there's no point in scaling something that isn't there. Now, I definitely have more of a bootstrap mentality generally, even though I've done funded startups. And uh, um, I generally think that in the new world order, um, thinking more like a bootstrapper will get you further <laughs> generally. Um, so I don't know if that's a really good enough answer for you, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the, it's sort of like product market fit and that you have to learn how to feel it, um, you know, that you've gone far enough, but it should be legitimate pain and not just inconvenience, you know, or, oh, I'd like to do all these other 50 things. But I also come from like a sales first mentality, like a company isn't all about product. A company is also about <laughs> getting that, those early sales, right? Yeah, I've got, I talk about that so, all the time. Like that, the product and the distribution need to be side by side. Like th those things have to be thought of from day one. It's the same side of, you know, a, of a coin that, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of founders, like they focus on that product piece and, and SF in particular, like they're obsessed with that, but they don't think about that distribution side, which is as critical, if not more. I mean, I, I love your thoughts on that and just like how, how you think about that and communicate that to first time founders. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a real tricky thing because I also, I love, you know, hard, there's like hard tech and things, you know, and hardware that, you know, require you to be so deep in product for so long before you, you know, because you're maybe building it for yourself or sort of an audience, you know, really well. So you don't need to do that, you know, be super customer oriented. That said, the vast majority of startups would benefit from talking to a hundred customers before they built a thing or prospective customers, right? Um, you know, if, 
if if you were taking a class, Steve Blank's class at Stanford, it's like he's like week one, go talk to fifty customers, you know, and interview them and understand how they actually buy and think and uh, locate products and these sorts of things. And uh, you know, not do you like my product idea, but like understanding your customer, right? And I guess all I'm saying is that most founders and their and also, frankly, their first hires should be obsessed with the customers and yes, distribution, but distribution even as a subset of understanding how the customer thinks and buys, right? Um, over their product. So totally. the hard part about talking about this always is we're talking in generalities, right? And every startup is unique. Totally. It's like where that customer spends time online needs to be thought of. Like that obsessing over the customer, like that needs to be a factor of it. Like where are they consuming that information? Like <laughs> like you need to be in those places exactly. basically where they are. So, And like what are their triggers? How are they thinking about it? Who? How does the purchase decision get made? You know, after they learn of something, who else do they ask for advice? You know, who are, who influences their decisions? Like very human practical things. And I think there, just to say this, that in this conversation, I think as we talk about hiring growth marketers and you see this, you know, those moments of arbitrage and opportunities in certain channels shift over time, right? And the windows are open for only a limited time. So when we were working together on a daily basis, you know, there was real opportunity to use Pinterest to, you know, grow organic. And there, I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but there was like a huge window right then, right? And we can invest hugely in that or like try to grow different social media followers well now try to go grow a facebook account or insta account and see how well that you know it's much harder today than it was say five years ago and i guess what i'm trying to say with this is having a grasp on that reality of the oversight overlay overlap between how your customers use the world and view the world and what the moment of opportunity is you only get that by getting out into the world and getting away from your computer and product building totally no, I I I I, full, I totally support that, and, and I honestly it segues per like perfectly. And wanted uh, I wanted to ask you next, I, I you you really ingrained this with me this idea of marketing FOMO, and so I, how do you find that balance between like hey I'm looking for the arbitrage and I'm identifying that in my product strategy, but simultaneously like not allowing myself to be shiny object shiny object and lose focus on that core thing that's actually driving the business growth. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it starts with an understanding that power laws really apply to marketing. And what I mean by that is, you know, most companies are going to be built, especially early stage companies, not by seven different channels, but by one or two channels, right? So the first thing is to, uh, to like internalize that a concept that your job as a leader or a growth marketer is not, in fact, to go do marketing, meaning, you know, spray and play shit all over the place. Your job is to hunt down what the power laws are, you know, in your space at this moment in time. That makes sense. Totally. So FOMO, the idea of FOMO starts because you haven't put any constraints on yourself. You've just literally said, I'm just going to look around, see what other people are doing. And I'll just copy that. And if you said instead, okay, each one of these are just an experiment in my search for the right one thing, hopefully. You're, you're starting with the right mindset. Yeah, I mean, it just gave me this thought, like when you think about uh, distribution as an aspect of that, that obsessing over customer, it's like identify the channels they're consuming on, test all those channels, look at where the greatest arbitrage is, and then double down on one or two of those. 
And like, I, I mean, I'm exactly, <laughs> it's funny to look back on like the, the work I've done for companies in the past. Like that's basically how all of them, how we scaled all of them, right. Was it's, it's that exact process and, and then doing it over and over again. And, and I mean, I always use the example of wish.com. Like that was a billion dollar company that was built on the back of Facebook ads, right? Like a single yeah. channel. <laughs> and if they can do that, like you with one or three, you know, one to two or one to three different channels can get to that, you know, series A or series B or whatever that is. And most companies are like that. Yeah. And I think right now there's, we have too much of a problem. Mar- too many marketers are still stuck in whatever the mid 2000s where we, you know, to the aughts or whatever we call them, you know, 2008 to 2010, where Facebook or whatever social search could really scale anything. Uh, and, but, you know, when you look at those numbers now, I'm not saying it doesn't work for every, you know, it doesn't work anywhere, but it's just generally a lot harder. You know, the margins are much tighter. The targeting is, is, is generally tougher. The, the, you know, less transparent, the, um, costs are up. And so to be, I, you know, the part of the problem with FOMO is that it's by definition backward looking, right? You're seeing what somebody already did not what is going to be. And as marketers, I'm not saying there isn't a time to look at whatever. Like, I mean, hell, I don't, if you want to grow your, if you can grow your startup with billboards, who cares? You know, I don't, or light pole posters. I don't give a shit. That's totally cool. Go do it. Or direct um, mail. Right? Like direct I, I, mail. I, I have a client and we're like, we're working with them and, and direct mail. We're seeing this moment in time where direct mail has suddenly the cost has gotten to a place, the accessibility to actually ship it. And there's these programmatic w- abilities to yeah. do that with targeting and triggers. Um, I mean, it's, it's turning into like <laughs> a real channel. If you would have told me that five years ago, I mean, even when I was working for you, that w- this is what yeah. I would be doing in my digital you know, career. Like there's no way I would have ever thought that. Well, but that's the thing is see, I think where we've gotten all goofed up, and I do think there was, there was a time, and I started as sort of this growth hacking, you know, mentality. And then, frankly, when I, you know, Reynolds Myers was really built by bringing growth hacking techniques from eight or nine years ago to companies today that are pretty far behind the times, right? So, like, un- boring, unsexy businesses that hadn't thought about digital. But the truth is, that's all fake. It's really, you know, performance, lead gen, performance marketing, demand marketing, whatever. These are just terms for marketing, like. It's still the same activities that we've been doing for 50 years. And so this idea of digital marketer, I just think, you know, obviously there's areas of expertise there, but it's fading compared to what it used to be. And building actual expertise in marketing and customer psychology and these things are become way more important. Totally. It's having a renaissance, I feel like. And I, I, that's a great way to co- go and kind of do this next topic um, about like how to communicate marketing internally and get buy-in from decision makers. I, I think this is something, um, I mean, I, I'm really thankful for coming for, from the agency background and then going and working at these, 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 these companies is you almost have to market internally to get people to build that trust. And, and, and give that that leash because I think marketing is one of these things that everybody has an opinion on <laughs> because they're watching you in the pit and they think, oh, I can do that, right? It's like, but it's, it's you know, you don't actually, it's just, it's it's way more difficult or way more, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than it looks. I, I'm curious your thoughts there and just how, how do you, how do you think about that when you're talking both with clients and then also like if you're a person that's within a, a early stage startup, how do you how do you communicate that to your team? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, if you don't communicate it, it didn't happen, <laughs> right? So, our world it, it's it has to be with communication. But 
Um, I, and this is a bigger discussion, but we'll just say if, whether you're a CEO or the marketing leader, let's say just the first marketing hire, which by default makes you the marketing leader, right? The first thing is to really gain clarity on the role of marketing within, within the organization. Can you define what marketing's job is? Is it sales support? Is it primarily lead gen? Is it primary, you know, um, is it dr just driving the actual, you know, conversions and quick sales? Is that, you know, what is the goal at this moment in time? So you have to be able to articulate it. And if you can't articulate why your, the marketing department exists, then you got to go back to that step. Right. That's like a in two sentences, you should be able to say, because otherwise what you're going to be doing is you're going to be stuck reacting to all the bullshit that flies through any given company in any given day. Right. And subject to their whims of, of all that. So um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is, I think it's really important that marketing we talked about. Uh, knowing the customer. Marketing needs to own the customer within the organization. They need to know more about the customer's life, uh, how they buy, how they shop, how they um, use the product, how they, you know, if they drink wine or beer, and if they drink what beer, what brand, you know what I mean? And if the, so marketing needs to own that and then have a, a regular system for communicating all that knowledge and learning up. So my basic recommendations are, Okay, you've defined what you are, so then you can basically develop some level, we'll call it KPIs, I kind of hate that term, but, you know, goals, right? So you should be able to say, this is why we exist, this is, uh, these are the goals, what we're trying to accomplish specifically, and here are, the, here are my theses of how I'm going to do that. So some people might call that strategy, right? My sort of plan of action. If you, if you should be able to define all three of those things way before you get to the tactical stuff of what channels you're using, what you know, calls to action and those things. And then my recommendation is essentially to create, you know, an investor newsletter or investor update, right? Uh, to your team. So send it to your executive team, uh, send it, write an email every week, every two weeks, something like this, treat it like you are doing an investor update and tell them, Hey, reminder, this is, here's our big goals. These are our key initiatives right now. And here's what we did to that. Just wanted to let you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and send it as an email and be proactive because most of the problems in marketing actually come from letting ourselves become reactive and then just end up drowning in what I call the marketing blob, right? This enormous, never-ending uh, deluge of, uh, of ta tasks and tactics. So the main thing is it's not as hard as it all looks is, is if you just if you've defined those three core things and figured out how to communicate it proactively, you're, you're probably better than 95% of, of folks, you know? Totally. I mean, I, the last company I was at, I, I used to just send Loom videos that were like, hey, here's the things yeah, we perfect. tried. Here's what we learned. Here's what didn't work. Here's what is working. This is what we're doubling down on. Something as simple as that, it like creates transparency and also like builds this, you know, trust and leverage within the organization that allows for you to do, you know, better work, which is uh, the whole goal of all of this. Can you, can you that deeper? Is, is leadership. That's leadership. Yeah. That's all that is. And I guess that's what my point is. Marketers need to think of themselves as leaders within the organizations and not just doers within the organizations. Totally. I totally agree. I, I, I want to return back real quick to the, um, this difference between marketing goals, strategy, and tactics. Um, I, I think you you illustrated that. Could you just dive deeper on that I, to, yeah. for the audience? Yeah, to kind the of metaphor, yeah, the metaphor I use is sort of like a mountain climbing metaphor, right? So your your goal is the flag at the top of the mountain that you're trying to reach, right? 
Your strategies is your are your de- de- designed plan of action to win. That's or, you know for victory to achieve that that aim, that big aim, that overall big aim. And now, if you think about it as, as a mountain climber, right, or just even in a, you know, by my house, there's this hill that's uh, a camel's back. It's in a park. And it's like a lookout, a little hill. And there are three paths that go up to it, right? So the, if the goal, my main aim, which could be, which is sort of be limited in scope, I would say. In other words, you don't want it just to be succeed. It, I'm not talking a weekly goal. I'm talking a big picture. Our goal is to have a growth rate of customers at 10% a week or whatever, the, something like that, right? Um, then there you go, okay, there's multiple paths on this hill to reach that goal, right? You know, on this particular hill by my neighborhood, I can go straight up. And there are no, there's like a stairs at the very end, but mostly it's just like straight up a dirt hill. So you're kind of slippery or whatever. Or I could take either one of the right or left trails and they kind of wind around differently and have different levels of steps and gradient and those things. But any one of those trails will work. So your strategy, the whole point with strategy is you have to pick the trail or the trails, which means you're leaving out some trails. Does that make sense? So you have your goal, your strategy is your plan for getting there. And, and then the tactics are all the things you need to do to implement your system. So if I choose the easy path, I can just wear my flip-flops. I don't have to worry about my shoes, and so the tactic doesn't matter. But if I want to go straight up the hill, I might need my hiking boots or something, right? So I need to plan for that. So those, the tactics are just the things that execute the strategy. And I think these words, you know, like the word strategy gets to be like all this highfalutin. It's not that big of a deal. What it really is is just, I, you could also think of it as like a thesis. This is my theory of how I'm going to win. And it's, but it's, there's a plan and ideally it sort of all holds together cohesively in a way that allows you to sort of measure it and think about it. So I don't know if that helps. It's, it's a good, no, hard it's thing a great to talk visual. about because it happens literally at every level. No. <laughs> it happens at the highest levels, like corporate strategy. And then it happens at the lowest levels. Like, how do I play on this event? Right. Yeah. I- I feel like that question of why are we here, right? Like that, it, it should be asked at the beginning. I mean, we again, when I was working for you, that was like one of the first things that we would start with is like, what is the why? And then we're, like, where are we trying to go? What is the why? And then work our way backward from there, building that system out to actually like create a process and implement it. So, yeah, I think there's some skill and some learning around sort of how you right size those goals and strategies for your particular team and particular, you know market and all that thing. And that is tricky. It's not, it's not obvious or easy. And you learn that over time. Yeah. Again, it's at bats. So, <laughs> all right. So, okay. Next thing I wanted to talk about. So we, you've kind of defined this, it, it, talk to me about North stars and then um, how do you get your teams? Like, especially experts, like we're seeing this more and more now where it's like, Oh, this person is really good. Like, especially once you get to scale, this person is really good at, you know, this channel SEO or this channel, um, you know, Google ads, or how, how do you create a North star for them within the marketing marketing organization? And then, uh, allow, allow for them to have that autonomy, uh, so that they can basically ship on those things, but not lose the focus and go too broad. I, I feel like this happens r- really often where it's like trying to find that balance is hard. Like, is there any, you know, how, how, how do you, I guess, teach, uh, these organizations that you're working with to do that? And what you mean is like the, te- the, te- the sort of the FOMO temptations or whatever uh, suck people down. You know, even if I so if I'm an interest expert in SEO, is the concern that I sort of you know chase rabbit trails on that instead of sort of aiming towards that clear goal? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, totally. Like, okay, you know, is this is this channel even providing value? Like, why are we investing in it? Like, how I guess how how 
Yeah. Like how, how are you thinking about that North, like, like defining that North star and then making sure that all the team is shipping towards that. Um, and then, you know, it, is there any, you know, is it meetings to get, to get that accountability? Like, I guess, what are those frameworks that you're using? Yeah. So every organization is a little different in every stage of organization. Sorry to keep using those, uh, those sort of boundaries, but to, if you have defined sort of the why of the marketing department, then you're probably about 80% of the way towards solving the, a lot of these issues. Because if you define, um, if you treat your department like it's its own startup, right? Uh, meaning it has its own objective, its own reason for being, and then even principles or values or sort of other constraints that we apply to. So for example, you might be a company that says, you know, we don't use black hat techniques. We don't use gray hat techniques. We don't, uh, you know, we want to be more brand driven. We want to be just transactional. We want to be the lowest price, whatever these various constraints, right? Um, that really, if you do a good job of defining your marketing department, then you've, you've solved for half of that. Right. Um, but that said, you know, I think, I think what you're kind of getting at is a challenge with the entrepreneurial world, right? Like the best people are entrepreneurial nowadays in most companies. The best, most ambitious, most efficient, effective outcome-based people sort of have an entrepreneur streak in them. So if you're a founder, you're basically hiring other would-be founders in many, many, especially in the early stages. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, no, I, I, I always say I mean, this. You, like, agree, you the, agree with that, right? Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, the best growth people are the, they're, I call them like, you know, they're founders in disguise, right? It's right before they go start their, their own company. And you're basically getting them in that window before, like when they're really good and they're like about to go, you know, find somebody who's a technical co-founder and then right. ship on that. I, I mean, in my right. experience, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and so what, think about all you have to do to answer your question a lot of ways, then is to think, how would I manage me and how I would manage me? And most of those people are setting clear objectives, clearly defining the roles of that objective, and then giving them skin in the game, whether that's equity or some other reward system um, that gets them there, right? And then from a practical standpoint, I personally think a real key thing is to let um, your team establish milestones. Like when, when are we going to have, what are, where are we headed with this? Have it come from them, have them set deadlines and timelines. Frankly, they're always more optimistic than they should be almost always because they're entrepreneurial driven, ambitious people. Right. And so you're, you're laying out, um, what I'm trying to say is you, the easiest way to do it is actually to empower the, your team to do it for you. And then I like to meet with teammates, you know, somewhere between every two weeks, to every month. Uh, for a one-on-one -on -one that could be anywhere from a half hour to an hour um, to sort of review that status and be, uh, in, you know, giving input and sort of co-locating on those, you know, and collaborating on those, on those issues, if that makes sense from a practical standpoint. Um, you know, I find what the number one thing is, it's sort of like it is sharpening the saw from the beginning. It's like when you have, we say, okay, we're going to try this channel what do we expect to get out of it? Define this up front, right? You can't define it afterwards. How long do we think it's going to take? How long do we think it's going to cost? And where we and if it succeeds, what are we going to do? If it fails, what are we going to do? If you can answer those five questions, it's sort of proactively that basically can become your framework for your check-ins. You know, your biweekly or monthly check-ins. I think as a founder, early stage, generally you're meeting more frequently with your growth team, and uh, as a later stage company, you're meeting less frequently. 
And I also think generally, the exception to that is sometimes you just need to give people time to go into the cave and do their mad scientist work. And so that two week schedule sometimes may be better off say, we're not going to talk again for a month or six weeks. Um, but then that accountability needs to be really clear at the end of that. I don't totally. Know enough. You know, I'm trying to find the no, right technical no. level. No, that's great. I, I, again, I, it's, it's to download that knowledge of like, I think it applies to all these organizations, whenever you're team building, whether it's at a, you know, a fortune 500, like who you're working with or down to like, Hey, we have a team of 20 and we're just like starting to get, you know, you know, pods within the, within the company. Um, I feel like it's applicable in all those places. So it's super valuable in that way. Yeah. I I think I think the challenge is, you know, every company, especially if you, you know, like you said, we deal a lot of Fortune 500s, Fortune 1000s, and these companies have other political dynamics at play. And small companies have that too. But to be honest, in a startup, you don't have room for that stuff, right? We know that. We, so, so that's sort of a word of caution. Get out of a small organizational politics. In a large organization, it's sort of endemic to the situation. And my general rule is, if you're if you're as long as you're moving forward, taking steps you know i call it progress not perfection just always making progress and generally actually doing trying to do less not more i find actually speeds things up um and so in other words instead of assigning somebody to go do 20 things assign them to do two things um you know try the two two channels and then thoroughly debunk that instead of living in this land which is what most companies do uh, we have 30 different channels we're experimenting with and we really can't tell what's happening because that's the reality of the other thing is like when we get into attribution and all that stuff you it doesn't work it doesn't i mean people can again worked great in 2010 <laughs> no no doubts but now because you know if you think about the way you shop many of that last mile is not attributable it's not directly attributable for many many products Hundred percent. I mean, it, it gets even more complicated uh, in the B two B world, like where the time, like the purchasing, like the time horizon Long for that purchasing cycles. decision is exactly. It's 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 like it's over a ninety day window. Like, how, how do you know what that final trigger is? It's 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 an accumulation of you know twenty different small things that happen that led to that, and a lot of them you can't even see. Like, it's like. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I could go down this rabbit hole, but where it's like, just, they're, just they're reaching out to it. your customers and having conversations with them, and you don't even know that that's happening. Exactly. And, and if you, for most organizations, for most complex sales, you know, the person who's actually buying the economic buyer, which may be like a procurement person or something, right, had nothing to do with the purchase decision, let alone, you know, they didn't, they're literally just negotiating the price, you know? So who actually did you have to influence to do that? Now, obviously, there's a lot more in B2B. It's starting to look more like B2C, right? Um, people have budgets and credit cards and, and can just buy a product, right? So that, that's changing. But still, even that's like, and that's why doing these customer interviews is so important because it's important not just to understand, hey, would you like this? But it's more like, well, who else would have to sign off on this? What would stop you from buying it? How long, you know, understanding Tell me about your purchasing price process. In a big B2B company, it can be six weeks. I just have somebody schedule a meeting with me. It's six weeks out because of their calendar. Now, do I really believe their calendar is full for six weeks? No, I do not. But that's the way they think, right? They don't have that sense of urgency. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> it makes so, me laugh. Thank you. I, it's, it's interesting what you said um, about um, these decision makers, though, having these cards now. And this is actually an interesting pricing piece where it's like, 
you know, what are those limits on the, the Brex card or the ramp card that they have that they're allowed to whatever spend and just do that impulse spend within that B2B organization? Like that is something to think about I, from an acquisition standpoint. Like, is that in I that threshold? A, yep. I had this company that I just sold. Uh, we had a client that was a managed services client and we lowered the price $2,990 a month, a year. Um, for this client because that's what 3000 bucks was his cap on his purchasing credit card. And so with that, he could just do buy us. We don't have to get approvals of anybody from anybody. That's I, <laughs> such a perfect illustration. Like, and, and that's happening now. And I think that's different than what it was, you know, even five years ago when it came to who could be that decision maker within the organization. I've been having these conversations, a lot of like, do you go bottom up or top down? And I'm like more and more, I mean, you're, you're seeing each of these, even in SDR roles where it's like, cool, you have this budget to buy tools that you feel like will help your workflow and you be more efficient. Like, why wouldn't you bottom up? It's going to bubble up naturally when they start outperforming all of their peers, like to their, to their, to their manager. Exactly. So I have a friend who has a company um, that sells to teachers. But originally, he thought it was school districts. He should be doing full school district contracts. Well, the problem with school districts is they only really research products at their pro uh, products at a couple of trade shows a year, right? Uh, and then there's this huge buying process and a whole vetting process and all this blah blah blah. Or what he ended up doing was offering a cheap ten buck a month classroom or hundred bucks a year or whatever it was to a teacher, and then the teacher has a budget for that or can even fundraise for it uh, to, with their parents. And then eventually enough teachers start using this thing that the school accepts it. And then it naturally over time, enough schools accept it that the school district decides to, um, you know, just make it an option or negotiate a sort of a more corporate, you know, enterprise level deal. But it starts with that, but, you know, having that understanding of how this stuff actually gets purchased is the key. Totally. I, and that's why growth yeah. marketers can't just think of themselves as freaking running ads. You know, you have to understand the customer and the buying process and the pricing, all that. And, have yeah, to and the organization structure that you're it. selling into. Like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I always challenge people to like have, especially when it gets to where there's a, uh, you know, a CX customer experience org that's separate. That's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't get that transparency as like small or as often as small organizations do. Like, go and just talk to your head at your CX people. Like, have those conversations on a weekly basis. Like, what are the things you're seeing on the front line? That's going to give you so much more insight to what's happening than what you're perceiving based on a, you know, a Facebook ads manager, like, back end, like, looking at a dashboard. Well, and especially in B2B, I think, I think everybody's like, so many people think, oh, we have this great, you know, the new mousetrap that will solve this problem. And this is an obvious problem. And, of course, we need, everybody will want this solved. But what they don't, and they could be 100% right in that theory, but not realize that, that the actual person that has to buy it is definitely afraid of losing their job and can't and has just screwed up on two other technology implementations and can't go to their boss comfortably and try to pitch some big solution, theoretical solution. So you have to actually understand their personal drivers. So like safety, like that this is a safe purchase or a low friction, low risk purchase for them you know like in b2b those issues are usually way bigger than the features you know of like whatever specific feature you have does that make sense totally. like no the, what yeah, i'm trying to I, say is like the personal drivers not the corporate level driver the human drivers of making a decision 100 I, I i think those two things like them having that purchasing power and also thinking about like them 
navigating that political piece, like within their organization, um, it, it needs to really be considered like more than ever <laughs> when we're thinking about building out growth organizations and building out growth teams at these early stage companies. So, And because of this, just to say it, I don't know if I've really got this point across, like growth marketers can come from freaking anywhere, right? Like a growth marketer, there's no school for this stuff that's worth its salt, or maybe there is, but you know, the school is real life and, and right now and a mindset and these things. And so as a founder, you have to be realizing, you know, you're going to hire, you know, some people that are untraditional. That's, you definitely want that as part of your sort of team portfolio, you know, because those are some of the people that break, you know, you have to have rule breakers. You can't just have, you know, if you have a bunch of people with their MBA, you know, MBAs generally make terrible growth markers. Hundred percent. If they took the like the the safe route, in my experience at least, and again, like I, I I've worked with great people that have come from Deloitte and all these, but like I of course. I think that that there's a different time for that <laughs> than the early stage. Like they're necessary, but and I what I find is especially like early stage growth people, like they aren't good as soon as it gets to that mid level when it's like okay, cool, like here, like they just it's not interesting to them either. Like they're like, okay, what's this next? you know, what's this net, their puzzle people is really what I would describe them as. And that's kind of what I look for more and more is like, who's obsessed with the puzzle, building the process can hand off the process and then give them the next puzzle. And you, that's, that's the, really the, I guess the profile that I think is, is I see most common, I it, guess, out of people I that agree. are 10X. And I'd even say that, yeah, that's a 10X person. If you can find somebody to be the explorer, the, the sort of definer, the process, that's the magic combo. It sometimes can even be hard to find that, but that person almost never is the person that can implement that process over the long term. The person that implement them, frankly, should be able to be a less expensive, you know, more of an executor person. Um, hopefully, you know, um, totally. You might have to pay for a growth a growth marketer. With that's one of the challenges. It's it's like I think you either have to pay for somebody that has a proven record, can see the world in sort of high fidelity, or you need to incent a younger driven person that doesn't have a track record, but that can, you know, kick butt and take names um, and give them a little bit of rope to do that. Totally. I, I was, I, when founders ask like who, who, you know, what's the profile I'm looking for? Like another thing I, I try to always emphasize is like, do they have a compulsion to just build things and put them out in the world? Like if they are that person, <laughs> yeah. like they are typically going to be pretty good. Um, cause it's just, it, again, it's the at bats piece. I, I think that that's such an, an overlooked thing when we, when it, with this thing, that's unteachable, you just have to do it. So you have to have that person that is just an at bats person. So, yeah. And I'm trying to mix that person with somebody who I can, where I can gather that they have a sense of reality, <laughs> meaning that it's not all just some theoretical or they're not just, you know, repeating some podcasts that they heard three years ago. Um, but they can talk about nuance, even, even sort of like argue with themselves. Like to me, that's a sign of somebody that can see reality because reality is usually shades of gray. Right. So, so you want, that's one of the signs I look for. It's like, can they, um, see how this could work and also see how it could just be a, a cluster. <laughs> okay. Now you're, <laughs> now you're, and have those traits you're talking about. Now you seem like somebody I need to know or be connected with. Totally. Totally. All right. That was great to conclude any, what are the marketing arbitrages uh, that you're seeing right now? And like, you know, based on the data that you're, you're, I guess, what's your team really excited about or uh, shipping on for, for your clients and also just the, the startups that you've been working with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as you've identified, I think, you know, uh, the 
podcasting or sort of intimate communication, I think it's really a huge opportunity. I think it's a huge opportunity, not just in an interview style podcast, but produced podcasts and maybe even mini series, you know what I mean? So like five episodes covering a topic instead of uh, instead of an ongoing series, and then maybe a stringing together a series of those. Um, anything you can do to sort of get in people's heads, give them a more intimate uh, feeling. The other thing is, you know, to me, we're really in a back to basics mode right now of positioning do we you know is it clear what our positioning is how we fit in the mind of our consumer compared to the, uh, others do we have a point of view um and it's less about just simple conversions uh, the, the conversion part is coming from sort of uh you know like i what am i trying to say i i guess the con- conversions are coming with, by getting back to basics more than they are by gimmicks at the moment it's sort of a little bit of a longer term play although i think people would also be surprised if they launched a a podcast or a killer content piece uh, series type thing, um, how quickly that can return results if the positioning is right. So, um, so and positioning has to really do with understanding your customer going into those deep little niches and those like nuanced niches, right? Um, so, sorry, I don't want to ramble too much on this, but like you know, this we work in uh, with a lot of building companies, building materials companies, and I think a great. I just got back from a trade show. And what hit me, you know, upside the head again for the hundredth time was when people target home builders, company, you know, a company targets home builders, there's no such thing as a home builder. Yes, there's actually a ton of them, but some home builders are giant with CFOs and CEOs and whatever. And some people, some are one guy with a chuck and a truck, you know, um, and those are, they are not that related. They are totally different experiences. So the channel is really about first figuring out which of those people are, you know, of the dozens in that spectrum am I targeting and then delivering intimate, solid content to those people. For the record, I do think written content is going to get, is getting harder now, you know, um, it's still useful. And, but for change, the changes in the SEO world and other things are, um, and just frankly, the, the deluge of con- content, generic content won't cut it, right? You have to, it has to be very niched, has to be very specific to those folks i know that's sort of stating the obvious but i don't know i, I guess I, what i'm trying to say is i'm arguing for back to basics man i'm back, acting for, for standing for something that people can understand i love it man no that's great and i i think what you said like is really insightful like there is all of these layers of you know archetypes within this greater customer that you're targeting whether it's like you know a home builder to use that example like there is these, like figure out what those people are consuming, where they are consuming and where they're spending time and then build media that's like specific for them, for that platform where they are. So meet them where they that's are. Right. And I think, you know, I think to understand is that they all use different language. You know, I love using the building industry because it's so such a great example. You know, an architect calls a sheet of plywood a panel and a builder generally calls them a sheet, right? So like, that's just the example of like, People can sniff out whether you really understand them or not by like little nuanced details. So you damn well better have that down. 100%. Uh, it's that chameleon piece. Well, Jeff, thank you, man. I appreciate your time. I just want to be respectful of it. Thanks again. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Or uh, what's that kind of next step? Or what are you working on that you'd like to talk about? Um, yeah, no, the easy way is jeffreynolds.com, actually. Um, you find sort of it's not the world's best website, but it sort of links to a book I wrote, The Monster of the Day Marketing, as well as um, uh, my day job and some other things. So find me there. Cool. Awesome. Thanks again, man. My pleasure.